Hopefully you've opened up to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, and uh, we are studying the book of Revelation because there is a rumor going around this town, and there are people going around and they are saying that the book of Revelation is... But oh, contraire, say we, for you see, the word revelation itself means that something has been revealed. revealed. Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called it the consolation, not the revelation. So what is it that's revealed in this book? Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to find Jesus revealed in this book, maybe in a different way than we saw him 2,000 years ago, now as we see him in his eternal glorified state. But let me do this today just a little bit different. Let me read that whole verse. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place, and he commanded it by his angel to his bond servant, John. So here, here's the question. He says, which God gave him to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place. Are you a bond servant of the Lord? Yes. Then here's what you need to know, important for our study today. He wants you to know this. He, he gave it. He wants you to know this. And that's going to be important for our study today. But not only that, he so wanted his people to read this book that he promised that for those who take the time to read this book, they would receive a very special blessing. And that blessing is found in Revelation chapter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look at it. This is the only book of the Bible that says this. Blessed is he who reads. If you haven't underlined that, you'll certainly want to. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So, so he says, I'll bless you if you read it. Um, he says, I want you to hear it. I want you to heed it. So it'd be very hard for us to believe in a God who'd say, I'll bless you. I want you to hear it. I want you to heed it. But here's the thing. You're never going to understand it. So it'd be hard for us to believe in a God like that. But God knew that there'd be those going around saying that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. So to make this book understandable, God placed in this book its very own outline. And that outline is found in Revelation chapter verse. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Now, one of the things I want to say today as we go through this, it begins, John is told, it says, therefore, write the things which you have seen. I want you to pay attention today. This is going to be important for our study. But John is told to write the things. So he's writing as he goes. Tuck that away. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Therefore, write the things which you have seen. That'll be the first division in the book of Revelation. And the things which are will be the second division. And the things which will take place after these things will be the third division. So the first division, he's told, write the things that you have seen. So the question is, what has John seen up to this point in the book of Revelation? Well, verse 13, it says, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe. And it goes on to give this incredible description of Jesus as you would experience him now, we would say in his eternal glorified state. So that's what John has seen. But then he's told to write the things which are. Now, the things which are will pertain to the time period that you and I will call the church age, which is found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus will dictate seven letters to seven churches. 
these churches literally existed. The things that he writes about literally took place. But what we noticed as we traveled through, that in their order, these churches will lay out 2,000 years of church history. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, it makes no sense. But in their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. So if you were part of our study at that time, as we went through each church, we brought out the church history books and we pointed to this was what was going on in that time period, just as Jesus said that it would be. So you have the things that pertain to the church age, but then he says, he says, then write the things which will take place after these things. So after what things? Well, after the church age. So the next time we will find that phrase, after these things, will be in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at it. Everybody turn to it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. This is the third division in the book of Revelation. It says, after these things. You want to underline that if you haven't. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And as you've heard me say each week, the Holy Spirit is so concerned to make sure that we don't miss that this is the third division in the book of Revelation, that he begins the verse with the phrase, after these things, and he ends the verse with the phrase, after these things. And this is a picture of what you and I will call the rapture of the church. John sees the door standing open in heaven, a voice like a trumpet. The voice says, come up here. And immediately, John is in heaven. And as we studied chapter four, we saw that the entire church is there around the throne. We also noticed that as the church goes up, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the word church will be mentioned over 20 times. But when you come to chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of the book, there's going to be one word that's going to be glaringly absent, and that's the word church. And the reason for that is that the church is no longer on the ground part of the story from chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of the book. Now, as I always say, at the end of the book of Revelation, in the last couple of verses, Jesus says, I wanted to show these things to the churches, but uh, the church is no longer part of the story on the ground. It's after the, after the story. So the church goes up, and then what comes down? Wrath. Wrath. And that's found in Revelation chapter, six. Verse, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Let's look at it. This is the opening volley of that time period called the tribulation, that seven-year period. And it says, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, that's a reference to God the Father, and from the wrath of the who? And in the Bible, the lamb is always a picture of Jesus. Jesus. They are surprised that, that uh, the church is removed and that God is no longer pouring out uh, love and grace and mercy. And we'll talk about that. But, but now it's those who rejected, now they are facing the wrath that's being poured out. Always keep in mind that verse 9 comes before verse 16. Let's look at it. It says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, it's in heaven, the soul's of those who had been slain, we'd say killed, because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. 
And so terrible things are happening for the past 2,000 years, and even in this time period of the tribulation, to those who love God. And uh, just as you are passionate about your children, God is passionate about his. And so we, we see that. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. So we've been going through this time period called the tribulation. And so chapters 6 through 9, we've seen these waves of wrath uh, being poured out. Now, always keep in mind that the goal of even the wrath is to bring people to the place of repentance. It's bad here, the message is, but you can still turn to the Lord and wind up in eternity with him. So we went through the, the events of chapter 6, which was war, famine, and death. And then chapter 8, there was the astronomical things taking place, hitting the earth. And then chapter 9, there was the open demonic things taking place. But if you go to the last verse of chapter 9, verse 21, here was the result. It says, for, and they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their theft. So even at this point, God's goodness isn't leading people. They're not responding to that. And now as God's pouring out his wrath, they're still not even responding to that. And we'll see how that goes. So today we're going to go through chapter 10. Now chapter 10 is very, very different in tone. And we're about halfway through the tribulation period at this time. This is a very short chapter, which is uh, uh, going to be uh, somewhat interesting for us today. There is this pause uh, as you go through Revelation, you'll find there's these waves of difficulty, wrath, and then there'll be a pause. There'll be a pause. So this is one of those pauses, and we're going to highlight some things as we see. So nothing, nothing is blown apart today. So, uh, so it, uh, hopefully that'll be comforting to you. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 10. Always pay attention to the word like, 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 because John will describe some things, and the best way to describe it and the terminology that he has, he says, it was like this. He's not saying it was this, but it was like this. So I'm going to read the first three verses, and it says, and I saw another strong angel. If you have the NIV, it will say a mighty angel. Either way, it's good. Strong angel, mighty angel, coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow... Some of your Bibles might say halo was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, and you want to underline little book, which was open. There's going to be an emphasis here that it's a little book and it's open. And he placed his right foot on the sea, underline that, and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. The word utter there is also the word spoke. They, they, they say something. So as we unpack this as we go, first of all, this is a strong angel. So it's not Jesus, but this is going to be described as a strong angel. The word angel there in your outline, angelos, in the original language just means a messenger or angel. And this strong angel has a message. So you just want to write down angel means messenger. We also noticed in verse one, it says that he was clothed with a cloud and a rainbow. Now, rainbow and halo are the same words. So you can, you can look at it either way. What I love about this, and because this is a tiny little chapter, I get to talk about some things that I'm, I'm passionate about. But I love that it tells us that this is a mighty or it's a strong angel. Now, the reason that's important is that 
this angel is not a naked baby flying around. In, in the Bible, in the Bible, angels are always depicted as very strong, powerful beings. If you're like, and they're, they're almost exclusively in the masculine. And uh, so, so there's a couple of things. And I grew up with, in my bedroom, there was this picture of this rushing water and there's this bridge and it's missing some things and there's this little kid trying to cross the bridge and then there's this lady angel and she's standing up and she's doing this kind of looking lovingly down. Did you grow up with the same picture? Yeah, okay, so we've all had that picture. So what, what I'm doing is just saying, but, but this is what the Bible says that angels, angels are, are like. So a couple of things I think would be important for us. One day, Jesus was teaching his disciples, and as he was in the message, they, they had some kids, and, and so the disciples began to shoo away the kids. And Jesus says something very interesting there in Matthew 18. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, the word despise, it just means that you disregard or, or you know, just make as not, not, not important. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels, and I've underlined that, in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And, and so Jesus says, you don't you don't want to despise these. You, you don't want to treat them as though they're not important because here's what you need to know about these angels. Their angels, these little ones' angels, continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. The idea is that they are there as protection, but they, uh, and they are very, very passionate about those that they have. So when Jesus says, you want to be careful because... They continually behold the face of my Father who's in heaven. The, the picture is like somebody's harming one of those kids. They look up and they go, can I kill him? And that's, that's the idea. So keep that, keep that in mind. So now in the Bible, when angels are, are, are mentioned, they are always described as being very, very powerful. So there on your outline from 2 Kings, uh, it's a great story. You should go back and read it. But it says, then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose up early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Now, it's not that the dead people rose up early in the morning, found that they were dead. The idea is that when Israel rose up, they noticed that there was 185,000 of them and, and they were killed. Friends, this is the angel I want guarding my kids. I, I, want, I want the one that's ready to exceed the limits. You know, I, I want the, I've always envisioned, you know, when you see that their angels continually behold the face of my father or their father in heaven. And I've always imagined little plured kids out there playing in their sand pile and the wrong person decides to come on the property. And I want the angel that kind of exceeds, you know, what it's supposed to do. So sees them just immediately, kills them just like that. And the Lord says, I didn't tell you to kill them. I just told you to protect them. I want the angel to go, oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> That's what you want for your kids, right? Yep. So, so you have these angels, and they're very powerful. And uh, there's some great promises. For instance, uh, there in your outline, Psalm 91. Uh, Psalm 91 is a, is a passage that I, I say out loud every day. It says, for he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They, they are sent to, to protect. 
When um, I was back, if I could tell you my favorite angel story, when I was back at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, we had a class on angels, and there was this family there, and they, they told the story of how they had taken their two children to the beach. And their son was about four years old and their daughter was about nine years old. They're sitting at the, at the, right there at the edge of the water and their four-year-old son and daughter, they're running up and down the beach. And so the parents get into this conversation and as they get into this conversation, it hits them that they don't see their four-year-old son. So they immediately stand up, they begin calling the name of the son. And as they're, they're looking, a man stands up in the water and he has their child, and he comes walking up to them, and he hands them the child, and he says, he's okay, just got a little water in there. So he hands the child to the parents. They look at the child. They turn to thank the man, and he's not there. He's not there. And their daughter, who was nine years old, said, look, no footprints. So whatever happened there, uh, something happened, and it was very, very impacting. Do you love that story? I love that story. That's a great story. I want that angel to sign up for my family. So, but, so they're powerful. And what do angels do? What do they do? Well, very important. Paul is writing to the Hebrew believers, and he says this, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve, you want to underline serve, those who will inherit salvation. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to inherit salvation? Then here's what you need to know. God has placed angels. We would say that they are guardian angels, and their purpose is to come alongside and serve to, to, to assist. Now, hear me when I say, we do not pray to angels. We pray to the Lord. God sends angels, but we, we pray to the Lord. So he can send them. And what's important about that is he can send them instantaneously to be there on your behalf, on my behalf. So um, also interesting, that same little book, Paul writes to the Hebrew believers, and he says, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I love that. And uh, what that means is you should treat everybody like they're really nice and you like them because you just, you don't know. You don't know. Uh, isn't that fascinating? You know, the Bible says so much about angels, but let me just say it again. You don't pray to your angels. You don't try to communicate with your angel. That you, you don't do that. He sends angels as he sees fit when there is a need, but they are very passionate about God's people and uh, they are very, very powerful. So I, I love the descriptions of angels in the Bible. And here you have this strong angel. He's so strong and he's so massive that he has one foot on the land and then one foot in the sea. So, and again, they're, they're very, very passionate for God's people. And, and I will tell you that whatever Satan has, they are no match for what it is that God has. So, so they're, they are infinitely powerful as God empowers them. Uh, Something that I say every day, there are certain things that I say out loud every day, and uh, because, you know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What you hear and hear and hear and hear and hear is what you believe, which is why some of you need to stop watching the news because you're believing some wrong stuff, because you're hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. Yeah. You can say amen like you mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but here, here's how you believe. Here's how you believe. You, you say and say and say and say and say, and then you believe that. We grew up believing certain things because we were told and told and told, and we heard it. 
If you've ever been in the military, you, you go in through boot camp and you shout all day long things about yourself. You know, and, and by the time you're done with boot camp, you believe it because you've been shouting it. So there are certain things that I want to say out loud every day, multiple times, because I want to believe it. And it says, uh, uh, be it done to you according to your faith. And so I want to believe this. So one of the things that I say comes from Psalm 34, and I say the verse, and then I have the the add-on. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them, and I have more faith in God's protection than the devil's ability. And I say that every day. If that works for you, you take it and run with it. I wanted to share that with you today as we had the opportunity because you and I live in a very bizarre time. And uh, you can begin to think that everything is lost, what's going to happen. Well, I want you to know that God's got you. He's got your back. He's got the right power that you need at the right time. And you need to rest in that, that whatever, you know, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. So tuck that away. His angels are very capable of protecting you. Verse two. See, that's all it took to get through verse one. Verse two. (laughs) And he had in his hand a little book, which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. Now, most agree, and you want to write this down, that this little book, uh, is, this open book, is the Bible. So uh, we'll see why as we travel through it. Verses 3 and 4. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Literally, it means spoke. They said something. Verse 4, it says, now, when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, you want to underline, I was about to write. I was about to write. John is just writing as we go through. He has to write down the the three um, sections of Revelation, but here he's just writing as he goes. But then something happens. I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. So the question is always, what did these seven peals of thunder say? Do you want to know what they said? Well, we don't know. That's the point of what he just said. We don't know. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that. (laughs) So, so here's why that's so, here's why that's so important. There's some things that we're going to know, and there's some things that the Lord says you're, you're not going to know here. One day we will know. We'll, we'll, it's sealed up now, but one, one day we'll know. In Deuteronomy, at the end of the book, there in your outline, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. There's some things that only God is going to know. We won't know them until we get to heaven. But what is revealed, he wants us to know. And, and guys, this is what he's revealed to us that he wants us to know. This, this is what he wants us to know. And so in, in his mind, this is what we need to know, and, and this, this is enough. So what's revealed are the things that we find in Scripture. So again, some things that we, we, we might not know. Now, I just said a minute ago, I, I just said, did you write this down, that the only sealed thing in the unsealed book, did you write that down? This is the only sealed thing in the unsealed book. If, if I could just take a minute to just talk about something that I'm very, very passionate about. Um, this is sealed up. When we get to the end 
of the book of Revelation in the closing remarks, the closing chapter, it's going to say this there in your outline. It says, he said to me, do not seal up. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. The book of Revelation is the only book that we're told, whatever you do, don't seal this book up. It's the only, only time in your Bible it says don't seal this book up. You and I live in a time period, and, and with as much kindness and, as I can say, I, I never want to take a shot at another ministry in any way, shape, or form. But the way that this book is sealed up, I mean, it's right there in your Bible, but it's sealed up from believers because we live in a church culture where church leaders, pastors, will say things to us, you don't need to look at the book of Revelation. You can't understand it. It's hard to understand. You know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't pertain to us. It all pans out in the end. You don't need to look at the book of Revelation. How many of you have ever heard something like that? Well, here, here's what I would say. Um, I, I would say to those, not, not to take the shot, but I would just say to those who say that, I would say before you say that, before you say that, would you please at least consider that the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave to show his servants the things that are going to take place. It's the only book that he says, I'll bless you if you read it. It's the only book where he says, I'll give you an outline so that you can understand it. And it's the only book where he says, whatever you do, don't seal up this book. And so I, I, I would wish my friends and, and your friends and my friends who are pastors who we love, I love, and they love us, I, I wish that they would see this because this is the only book he says don't seal up. And, and sadly, it's, it's sealed up. It's sealed up. Does that make sense? Okay. So verses five and six, it says, then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, right hand, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who, what's that word? What is it? Created. Created. There you go. Heaven. What did he create? Heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there would be delay no longer. The idea is that it's really going to get rolling from here. In the book of Revelation, when people are in heaven, there's always this emphasis that God is the creator, that he's the creator. And uh, you'll recall that in chapter 4, as we were going through chapter 4, the church goes into heaven, and what's the first thing that they, they shout about in heaven? Well, I put it there in your outline, chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, I'm underline that, and because of your will they existed and were created. You want to underline this. Uh, in the book of Revelation, in heaven, there's always this emphasis that he is the creator. He's the one who created it. So, write this down. Um, no one in heaven believes in evolution. And, 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 and I, I, um, I, I don't mean to take, uh, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but, but always make sure that the Jesus that you believe in, that you're trusting for eternity, is the Jesus of the Bible. And uh, I know that many of us believe in evolution because we've been taught it and taught it and taught it and taught it and taught it. It takes about five minutes to dismantle that whole belief system when you really begin to look at it. And once you see it, you'll never be able to believe in evolution again. 
So, so, but you want to make sure that you believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You know, if the Jehovah's Witnesses, you've heard me say, come to your door, here at Calvary, we always say all Christians believe that Jesus is, and everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house, you say, well, who is Jesus? Is he God? They say, no, he's not God. He's Michael the archangel. We'd say, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. We all get that. But then what happens is we come to church, and we're the only generation that buys into this, and we say, is he the creator of all things? And all of a sudden, we're like, well, no, I don't really believe that. Just as believing that Jesus is Michael the archangel is not the Jesus of the Bible, believing that Jesus is not the creator is also believing in the Jesus who is not the Jesus of the Bible. So I, I, I say that so that you can at least consider Am, am I worshiping the Jesus of the Bible or have I created a Jesus that more fits in with our culture rather than what he's revealed in his word? And I consider you, if you've embraced evolution, to at least look at the other side and you'll find very quickly that it's hard to, hard to believe in that. Well, verse seven, it goes on, it says, but the days of the voice of the seven, or in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, and I love it, it says days, the idea is this is the time period of the seventh angel when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. What's going to take place from the tribulation specifically, the middle tribulation to the end, is something that the Bible talks about Old Testament, New Testament throughout. It's all going to be done just as the Bible said, just as the prophets have said. And we'll be looking at that. Verses 8 through 10, it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. He's powerful and he's very, very big. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. But when, when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So take the little scroll, eat it, sweet in your mouth, bitter in your stomach. What is this talking about? The Bible always interprets the Bible. And that's especially true for the book of Revelation. Whenever it talks about something, you go, what is that? Just know it's going to be highlighted somewhere else in the Bible. For that reason, I want you to go all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2. See what's going on here. By the way, is it at least interesting so far? Good, good. All righty. So Ezekiel chapter 2. So, so John is told to take the little book and it's open. It's all going to happen just as the prophets have said. So it's all written down. So it's going to happen. And uh, so when you, when you think about this little book, let me just share a couple of, of quick verses before we read Ezekiel. Eating God's word, taking in God's word, devouring God's word is a very common idiom in the Bible. So for instance, Jeremiah would say there in your outline, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart for I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 
How many of you would describe when you became a believer and you started taking in God's word, it brought so much joy? You know, I, I remember when I started walking with the Lord when I was in the ninth grade, didn't walk with the Lord all the way through high school and college, but in a certain period of ninth grade, and I was told, you have to read the Bible, and I started reading it, and I could never put it down. I was just reading it, reading it, reading it, uh, all, all through high school and all through college in times when I was in sin, you might say, but, but I had to read the Bible. There's just something about it. So I've experienced that. Many of us have. Psalm 119, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And there's something very sweet about God's word. And, uh, and, and yet he, you have here in Revelation, he takes the word in and it's sweet in his mouth, but it's bitter in his stomach. So, so what is it talking about? Well, for that reason, I've asked you to go back to Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is an interesting Old Testament prophet. Ezekiel was given a message from God. It was not the popular message. It was not the positive message. Uh, it was the message from God, but it wasn't the message that everybody wanted to hear. It's recorded in outside Bible sources, but in the, in the ancient history books, that the way that Ezekiel died, his message was so offensive, it wasn't what the people wanted to hear, that he was ultimately killed by the priests. They stoned him to death, and uh, it was not the positive message. So keep that in mind. So here, Ezekiel is told, and uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And he spoke to me, and as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me upon my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel to a rebellious people, and I've underlined that, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I'm sending you to them who are, I've underlined, stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And verse five, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. What he's saying is um, they're going to be rebellious. Thorns are going to be what they put on you. Sitting on scorpions, it's going to be a very painful thing for you, Ezekiel, to take this message because it's not going to be received by the masses. Verse 7. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth, underline this, and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll or book was in it. You want to underline that? When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back. Written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. This is not going to be the positive message that people want to hear. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll, I've underlined that, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach, take it all in, and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving to you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey 
in my mouth. You want to underline that? Sweetest honey in my mouth. I'm going to let you read the entire rendition. Go down to verse 14 real quick. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went embittered. How many of your Bibles say in bitterness? It was bitter. Okay, good. In the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. So it was sweet in his mouth, but when he took it in, it became very bitter in his stomach. What you find is that when I say, when you take the word in, is it sweet to you? We all say, yes, it is. How does it become bitter? Here's how it becomes bitter. When you take it in and it goes deep inside of you and it becomes assimilated inside of you, you realize the reality, the truth of it. And when you realize the truth of it, as much as Ezekiel wanted everyone to know, as much as he wanted everyone to see and everyone to receive, when you read the story, and as we go through the book of Revelation, you're going to find some receive, but most do not. And you recognize the reality of where they end up, and it hits you, and it becomes very bitter on the inside of you. Does that make sense? So there's the positive, it's sweet and we love it, but when you realize it, it becomes very bitter on the inside. When we go through this and I say something like, in heaven, no one believes in evolution. The Jesus of the Bible is the one who created. I share that. Many will look on and say, I don't embrace that. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible but it's not the Jesus that maybe you've created. Uh, And I say, you need to worship the Jesus who created you. What makes that bitter is recognizing how many people will profess to be believers in Jesus and yet reject the Jesus of the Bible because he does not fit who their culture says he's supposed to be. Does that make sense? I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. When I was going through this this week, I was looking at some statistics, and there's this place called Barna Research. You should go there sometime and check it out. But do you know that most people who go to church believe, they say, I believe in Jesus, but I believe if, if a person is generally good, they go to heaven, and that's people in church. And so what, what you find in our church world today, which becomes very bitter, is that that there's a whole different gospel, there's a whole different belief system that permeates the church that looks nothing like what you see in the Bible. So, for instance, there in your outline, Jesus would say this, enter by the narrow gate. It's very small, and there's only one gate, by the way. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. And that word many is also the word most, most, mostly, enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are a few that find it. There are a few that find it. I would suggest to you that even in church world today, if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, there are many people in church who'd say, yeah, I know Jesus is our way, but but, but there's, you know, it's, it's wider than that. Jesus says, no, it's a very narrow gate, and there's, it's, it's only one. Uh, he says, he's the creator. He spoke it all into existence. And people come to church and say, yeah, I don't, I don't really embrace that. I want to encourage you 
to at least evaluate and look and make sure that the Jesus that you've placed your trust in for all eternity is the Jesus of this book, the Jesus of the Bible. Does that make sense? And so uh, the bitterness is knowing that many, many will not, but that is not to be you. That's not to be you. So as we close in prayer, evaluate, and you have the opportunity to embrace and receive the Jesus of the Bible, and not necessarily the Jesus of our culture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this congregation. Lord, they love you. They love your word. They love the things of you. They're hungry for your word. And Lord, we, we enjoy your word so much. And yet, Lord, there's that bitterness because we realize that, that, that uh, it's really true. And if it's really true, uh, that can be very sad. Lord, we look to you. We evaluate the Jesus that we've been looking to. And uh, for many of us, we say, yep, that's the Jesus I believe in, the Jesus of the Bible. But for some of us, we've, we've kind of distorted that Jesus. We've, we've changed that Jesus of the Bible. And uh, we've been looking at that Jesus. We come to you right now and we say, Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, come into my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want to, to know you. We can work out the details as we go. Teach me, show me, but I, I want you. And he promises that if you invite him in, he steps in, he'll never leave. You're his and you are sealed. Lord, thank you for each and every person here today. Pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. See you next time. <laughs>